series is going to be the resurrection and the life and the impact that the, the gospel has on our soul. Our reading today is going to be from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So if you have your Bible with you, great. If you don't have one, I'm going to give you a minute to go catch one while I introduce the series. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, over these weeks of sheltering and quarantining, maybe you have missed out on the full celebration of the change of seasons. Have you noticed that? In the last couple of weeks since Easter Sunday, which is only about three weeks ago, the winter chill has changed and transformed to this beautiful blossom of spring. I love it. It's no coincidence that we celebrate the gift of resurrection at this time of year when there's such a dramatic change around us. Because the resurrection is a profound change of season. This is why we look out from the tomb. It's a profound change of season that new life has come. And so we look out again from the tomb at what does life look like now in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus? And how do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, and the great hope of resurrection to come. That's why the series is called The Resurrection and the Life. This changes everything. Now this morning, we want to quickly get to the Word. I want to pray first. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. You have your elements in front of you. We're going to respond in communion together. We want to open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, looking at verses 3 through 9. I want to read it together. Maybe you want to read it out loud with me as well. And then we're going to dig into it a little deeper. And then I'm going to give you three things that we need to know about the soul. So let's begin, first of all, the reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Let me pray before we enter into God's Word. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for those who have taken the opportunity to, to place the Word of God in the palm of our hand. There's something so sacred about that. It's one way that we can participate with you, God, and just breathe in your breath to receive your word. God, minister to our hearts, our minds today, transform, change us, bring us into a place of wonder and worship before you, God. Only you can do that by your spirit and in your word we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, even though perishable, is tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him 
and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation for your souls. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Yes. We want to look at this text a little more deeply. It's a very dense text, but it's got some wonderful news for us, some real encouraging stuff. It begins there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a good opportunity for you to make use of that heart button on the bottom of that Facebook. You can just say amen to that. Blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear this, friends. It is by His great mercy that He has given us a new birth. It is by his great mercy that he has given us a new birth. Now, you notice in this text already, there's no cause for us to claim this as our own. No, no, no. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. My friends, God has called you, called you, and invited you into this new season, this new life. How about this language that he has, by his great mercy, given us a new birth? Talk about a new season and a new life, a new birth. Now, the word uses this language to describe the profound change that happens when we receive faith and we are literally born again in our spirit. Have you received this? Have you experienced this in your life? We'd love to hear about that, this idea of a new birth. This is not just my story. It's not just a story we read. This is our story together. We have all been, by God's mercy, received into this gift of a new birth experience. He is not calling us to have a better life. He is calling us into a new life, to be a new creation in Him. This is, friends, as the word continues, a living hope. He has given us, it says, by His great mercy, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see that parallel there, the the living hope and the resurrection of Christ? See, this living hope that we've been given by grace connects us to the resurrection of Jesus. That is an inheritance then for all believers, as the word continues. This, too, is a gift. And again, we see in the word, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, that what happened to him happens to us by faith. What happens to him? Christ is raised from the dead, happens to us by faith. Christ is risen, is risen indeed. And that points us then towards the gift of eternal life and all the blessings of God as our Father. The word describes this to us as an inheritance, as an inheritance, as children of God. That tells us that there is no second class heaven experience. There is no. God is inviting us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to experience this gift of new birth and the riches of heaven there and the inheritance kept for us. What does that inheritance look like? Well, as the word continues, in verse 4 it says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, not dirty, and unfading. It's being kept in heaven for you. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading fading, being kept in heaven for you. This tells us that God's eternal glories are unlike anything we might ever discover here on earth. See, we know that the world and its things are passing away. Don't you remember 
what we talked about on Easter Sunday, when the women ran to the tomb and they, they met that angelic figure there, and he asked them that profound question, why are you seeking the living here among the dead? Today, in this season of pandemic, we are so aware of how frail we are, of the opposite of these treasures. Perishable we are, unclean we fear, how quickly life can be made unstable. But do you hear this also good news, friends? This is more good news. This is not only an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, being kept in heaven for you, but you are also being protected by the power of God through faith. You are being protected right now by the power of God through faith. And this is the faith that God has given you so that you can endure and grow and learn. It says so that we can even rejoice. We can even rejoice in this. It says in verse 6, we can rejoice even now for a little while if we're suffering. We can still rejoice even if for now we have had to suffer. Suffering in scriptures is never uh, uh, something that you can't count on. It's going to happen. And we're experiencing that right now. And he compares this idea of suffering to gold, which he kind of dismisses as saying it's more perishable than anything. It's more, uh, faith is more precious than gold. Even though that's perishable, it gets tested by fire and then found to be purified. The same way it is with faith. Faith is tested and tried. But because of this living hope that we carry in our hearts by faith, the trials that we face, that we face actually serve to strengthen us. The trials that we endure actually are serving to strengthen our faith. Genuine faith, we know, endures all things. Why? Because we're strong enough? No. Because the power of God is for us, and it's there for us by faith. Peter continues, he wraps up by saying this, even though you don't see him, you love him. That touches my heart. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. Right now you don't see him, but you love him. Maybe you don't see him now, but you still believe and you rejoice. He concludes by saying, we are in the process, verse 9, for we are receiving the outcome of our faith. We are realizing, receiving the outcome, which is like the completed picture of our faith. In other words, the, the inheritance and the great faith and the great joy and the goal of being received in the kingdom of heaven is so great for the rest of our days, we're continuing to realize how exciting that's going to be. We're, we're gathering that right now. We're just getting the complete picture as we walk in worship and discipleship. That's why what we're doing this morning is so important. It's part of the process that we go through in our maturation as believers to realize the bigger picture of faith that we have been invited into and the great inheritance that is for us and the power of God that is protecting us. This is a call, friends, to worship and discipleship so that we can continue to realize how great eternity with God is going to be. He says you're receiving the outcome, the the completed picture of your faith, the salvation for your souls. This is our greatest longing. 
salvation for our souls. This is our greatest longing. And with that reading, that calls us to consider what is the soul and what does it mean to love God with our soul. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean to love God with all our heart, and we talked about that being our passion and our drive. And last week, I talked about what does it mean to love God with all our mind, which is our reason and our will, but our soul, like, what is that? I also want to remind us that these are not separate pieces. We're not separate heart, mind, soul, body, and these are not separate things. We're actually one together. These are aspects of us, but we are all united together. In other words, the simple text is, love God with everything you are, everything you are. But what is, that again, that soul that is commanded and responds with love? Well, the soul, according to Scripture... You look at all the different references to it. It is the all-encompassing life force, the all-encompassing energy or force of life given to us by God at creation. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, there is the man, and into him God breathes the breath of life, and he becomes then a living soul. That's the origin of the soul. God breathes in and the man becomes a living soul. In other words, it's that part of us that comes alive. Now, when we think of heart and mind and soul, you know, the heart, even though it's the place of emotion and passion, we tend to associate it with the organ of our physical heart. We think of our mind, I mean, we instantly go to our head. That's where we think from. But where is the soul? Now, for the ancients, they actually had a part of the body that they referenced with the soul. It might surprise you. It's here in the, the throat area. It's in the throat. And it was the place of breath. God had breathed into the man this, this uh, nefesh, this breath. It's also the place of thirst. It's in our throat. This connects us, of course, to like places like Psalm 42, verse 1 that says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, O Lord. So like the heart and mind, we have to recognize, first of all, the soul is not some separate thing from the body. We tend to think that sometimes, that my soul is like this other thing. It's not part of my physicality. It is. The soul is not separate from our body. Our soul, in fact, animates the whole person. It gives life, body, and spirit. Everything that has breath has soul. It's according to Scripture. Even animals have nefesh. They have soul. But humans, we are distinct of having received this gift of soul because our soul seeks for something beyond us, something higher than us. So what is the soul? Again, it's not immaterial. I just want to be clear of that. It's not some other thing, right? The soul is our whole life force given to us by God that does endure for eternity. But it encompasses, encompasses our heart, our mind, our body, and our spirit. So, friends, what does it mean? What does it mean for us to, to experience resurrection and life to our soul? Well, with that, I want to give you three things, three things we need to know about our soul. 
First of all, our soul, again, as we looked at the definition from Scripture, it is our given life force that is eternally oriented. Because it's a gift from God, it is eternally oriented. Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6 says, Remember the days of old and think about all of God's deeds. I meditate on the work of His hands and I stretch out my hands to you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Our soul is our given life force that is eternally oriented. It's always seeking out. Our soul is that part of us that's always seeking a greater purpose. That does include our life here, yes, and yet it still longs for more. That's the reason that we are distinct from the animals that typically long for their next meal. Me too. (laughs) But there's something greater in my heart, my soul, my life force that longs for something even bigger than that. From our earliest days, even as children, we become seekers of some greater purpose or passion. And our soul, this is why it's often comforted by being around bigger things. How many of you like to spend time near oceans or in the sky? Because we sit by those things and we suddenly feel this peaceful part come into our life force, our soul. Why do we crave big achievements? Because there's something inside of us that craves to be part of a bigger story, and that is our soul. Our soul, by the way, has been given to us by God. And when I say it's eternally oriented, I mean that it is only truly satisfied by an encounter with the eternal love of God in Christ. Our soul thirsts, and its thirst is only going to be met there in the eternal love of God in Christ. So our soul seeks for the eternal and only finds its peace in Christ and the promise of eternal life in Him. Second thing about our soul, it's easily deceived. Our soul is easily deceived. Jesus talked about this in in many places. In Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 24 to 26, Jesus said this to his disciples, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who, want to, those who will lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit anyone if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? What can they ever give in return for their soul? Our souls are easily deceived. That life force that that seeks for a greater purpose that God has given us so that we can find Him. It's like a beacon that needs to find that eternal love. It's so thirsty, but it can easily be lured by the pleasures of life, by lust, by greed, by anything of this world that's mortal and temporary and worldly. Just as much as our hearts are thirsty for the love of God, we can find ourselves drinking out of the mud of life. Third and fourth century uh, uh, theologian Augustine says it this way, Miserable is the soul that is enslaved by the love of anything that is mortal. Miserable is the soul that is enslaved by the love of anything that is immortal. He goes on to say that when those things 
fall apart. Our hearts are broken because we invested our whole soul, our whole life force into these temporary things. And when they fall apart, we realize the heartbreak had been there the whole time. Now, the things that we can be lured by, deceived by, are the illusion of self-worth, self-importance, maybe even career pursuit, maybe even relationships, even good ones. We try to get our life satisfied out of those things and our longing for love. Our hearts, our souls can be, be lured by earthly treasures, by empty philosophies, even by entertainment. How about in this season that we have been sheltered into our homes? I know that maybe many of us thought, hey, with all this extra time, I'm going to really focus in, maybe read the word more, pray more, get closer to God. But we spend more time than ever on, on social media and on the news soaking in bad news before we soak in the good news and pray and worship. We're so easily lured. Our souls are so easily deceived. I'm convinced from Scripture and just from my own experience that what we even think of as, as hell, and I know it's not easy to talk about that always, but what we think of as hell I imagine actually as some existence where the soul gets immersed in all the empty pleasure that it craves and it's tormented with eternal dissatisfaction. Our souls are so easily deceived. Now for people like 3rd and 4th century theologian Augustine, this soul longing wasn't something that he just taught or something that he believed. He lived it. I love his conversion story. As a young man, he sought great meaning in philosophy and, and loose, li loose living with like women and parties. He was a teacher by trade, studying and teaching in Milan, found himself hearing a sermon at church that opened up his soul longing. Reflecting on this one day, sitting outside, he heard a, a, the voice of a young girl just echoing in, in the neighborhood saying, pick it up, pick up and read, pick up and read. And he thought, what am I supposed to pick up and read, the Bible? And so he did. He grabbed the nearest Bible and he opened it up and he went to the first verse that he found. And it was this passage right here, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, where it said, not in carousing or in drunkenness or in sexual excess or lust, not in quarreling and jealousy, Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. Upon reading those words, he surrendered his life, received peace for his soul. And many of the quotes that I've been using in this series are from his, his writings called his confessions. And friends, it's been happening that way ever since. Souls are lost until they find the peace and eternal life with Christ. The old is gone, and something new has begun. Have you received this peace into your soul? Third thing we need to know about the soul. When it is filled with the eternal hope in Christ, the soul can endure all things. Back to our word in 1 Peter. If we trust God for our eternity then we can trust him for today. Peter said, we don't see him, but we love him. We don't see him now, 
but we trust and we rejoice. Through faith, we have gained an eternal peace and security, and no matter what the day faces us in trial, we can result in praise because we're strengthening our faith, moving towards this great eternity to come. Have you experienced any trials this week, any soul longings? Are you dealing with anything that Christ, by the work of his cross and the empty tomb, has not overcome? You're not. There is nothing that you are facing right now in your head, heart, or in the culture around us that we fear that Christ is not defeated on the cross and had victory in the open tomb. My friends, the season is changing, but it's not just winter to spring. The kingdom of heaven is always, always at hand. And there is a time coming when death will permanently be defeated and God's kingdom will come. So we rejoice together in the gift and promise of eternal life in Christ, which is a gift by his mercy. Oh, we might be cautious with our health, and we should. We should be concerned for our neighbors. Yes, we pray in gratitude for God's protection, but we need not live in fear when our soul has found its peace in the Lord. Has your soul found what it's longing for? Have you accepted the peace of Christ? Or are you still seeking life from among the things in this world? Do you need to be refilled with an eternal hope in Christ to endure trials today? Let's pray together. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. Hearing your call for us to give you what is already yours, our hearts, minds, souls, bodies, and hope. By your great mercy, you have given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today, begin to restore our souls to you. Give us your peace. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in and fill us with anticipation of eternal glory, our inheritance that is secure in you. And we repent, turn away from those things that we know belong to the world, those comforts we have chosen, those worldly joys and selfish glory. Now, maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you right now that you need to repent from. Maybe there's a confession in your heart. Say, Lord, release me from this. Release me. And lead us into your righteousness, guided by your word and spirit, to that great day when all things are made new and you reign in a glory that will never end. We ask in confidence because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're here and hearing my voice this morning and you are desiring to make a new commitment in Christ or you are needing encouragement for your walk, reach out and, and, and let us know as a pastoral staff. We would love to walk with you right now. Pastor Joy is going to lead us in a time of remembrance and renewal at the communion table. God bless you.